Hello and welcome to today's edition of Family Life Today, hosted by Dave and Ann Wilson. Family Life Today is presented by Power to Change, known in the US as Family Life. We hope the program will encourage you in your most important relationships. So I have a confession. (laughs) It's not real bad, but I don't like to admit this, but every once in a while when I'm flipping through channels... I'll come across The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Oh, yeah. I know this about you. And, uh, you know, it I, hooks you. I, I find myself watching. I've never watched like a season or probably haven't even watched a, a total show. What is it, an hour or 30 minutes? Know. But I'll watch 15 minutes. No shame minutes. if you're an avid watcher. Yeah, I'm, I'm not ripping you if you watch the show. But I find myself just captivated and I'm snickering because this woman thinks she's going to find her guy (laughs) or this guy thinks he's going to find her woman. Right. And everything is so fake. Everything's perfect. And they're all in their tuxedos. And I'm just like, this is not life. This is not marriage. This is not relationships. And yet I know it does hook you in because you want to watch the drama. And I know there's bachelor and bachelorette parties. I don't even want to admit I've ever watched it. But I think I watch it because it's so not real, (laughs) right? Probably. And I think, you know, we need to display what is real. And I think today we're going to talk about what is real. We have Paul Miller back in the studio to talk about the life of Christ formed in us, which is so unlike The Bachelor of the Bachelorette. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Paul, welcome back to Family Life today. I'm excited to talk again about what you call the J-curve. Your book's called The J-curve, which is a beautiful visual of the Christian life, even a relationship dating life or a married life or a family goes through this curve. So remind our listeners what the J curve is. Well, the simple idea of the J curve is like the letter J, Jesus' life goes down into death and up into resurrection. And that is the template for our lives. And there's three kinds of J curves. There is The love J-curve, which Philippians 2 talks about, where Jesus descends from the heavenlies down all the way to death on a cross. It's motivated by love. He's going into a world where there's problems. He's going into trouble, okay? Then the second kind of J-curve is when trouble comes after me. That's suffering. Like when Johnny Erickson Tata had her accident, that was a suffering J-curve. I mean, she jumped into a lake and ends up paralyzed. Yeah, yeah. so the suffering's coming at her. In the the love J-curve, it's like being a missionary, you know. Marriage is a love J-curve. You you enter into it with love. And the third kind of J-curve is where I need to die to myself because the trouble's in me. There's problems in me where I have to put to death something in me. So the three kinds of J-curves I call the repentance J-curve, where the problem is in me, the love J-curve, where I marry the problem. (laughs) I should get a different word, sorry. (laughs) Uh, And then the third one is where the problem comes at me. Okay, just it's sort of a taxonomy of J-curves. So if you're wondering why should I listen to this today, it's because every single one of us experiences this at some point in our lives where we are suffering or we are struggling. Yeah. And we need to know how does the life of Christ, how does biblical knowledge, how does this J-curve help me? Right. And just here's a quick story that I mentioned in the J-curve book where 
Kim, our fourth child, we have six children, with her autism, would get up at like four o'clock in the morning. Her bedroom was on the third floor and pace back and forth. She'd go out in the hallway, flick the light on, run back to bed. Five minutes later, she'd come back and flick it off. And I could sleep through this. My wife couldn't. (laughs) So she would tell her to get back in bed. And because we were separated by three doors and a floor, she had to tell loudly. You know, she she yelled. (laughs) And then when we would have devotions at that point, we, we had our devotions separately. Jill would be on the first floor. I'd be on the second floor. Kim would be pacing on the third floor. Jill had to yell at me so I could yell at Kim <laughs> to get back in bed. Sort of like tag team yelling. Does that, you know yeah. what I mean? I got the picture. Wait, yeah. So you and Jill are up at four in the morning having your devotion? Well, no, this would be like Kim would start pacing at 530, oh, you know, and, and a typical male brain. I could just turn this off. Yeah. And my wife heard everything <laughs> at five times its volume. So one day I, I decided I was convicted, and, and we'll call this a repentance, Jake Kurt. I was convicted of yelling, and I, I was halfway through writing this book on prayer. So <laughs> I thought, maybe I should go up and pray with Kim. Jill said to me as I was getting out of bed, she says, what are you do? Yell at Kim, which was an odd comment because we did our yelling long distance, you know. Uh, I said, no, that hasn't worked for 10 years. <laughs> So I said, I was going to go pray with her. And she started laughing and said, what do you mean? It's been 20 years. So (laughs) I go upstairs and I just sit on Kim's bed and I pray with her. I just I just pray that God would quiet her. And, you know, it's amazing as we enter into the world of love, what God does. And my prayer, as I began to, the moment I started praying about Kim, I knew something that I hadn't known a minute before. It was just this thought. It was just like a, a, there, I there was no words to it. And it was just that I had underestimated Kim and her ability to learn and to grow and mature as a person. It was just something I knew. So that was like December in March, it stopped. So I went about once a week to pray with Kim, and it stopped because we moved. We didn't realize that the trucks from the meat factory across the street, when they would pull in, were waking up Kim. Really? Because she was in the back of the house. By the way, is why it's so important not to overthink prayer. Prayer is so mysterious because God's so mysterious. You know, you just, you have to be like a little child. So God had the answer to prayer before I prayed it. Even with that, Paul, as I'm listening, I'm thinking we do underestimate the power of prayer. Yeah. Why is it sometimes it's the last thing we do (laughs) instead of the first thing? I'm recalling um, recently I was in the hospital with my daughter-in-law and our one-year-old granddaughter was in the hospital and she needed a CAT scan. And the nurses were saying, this baby cannot eat for six hours. And we were thinking... So it's sort of the reverse of the feeding of the 5,000. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be impossible. So we're strategizing, how can we do this? And I'll never forget, like, the baby was fussy. She was hungry. And we're all basically crying, like, how are we going to do this? And we started to pray. And I put worship music to the baby's ear as I prayed. It was one of the most miraculous things I'd experienced. This baby just settled down Mm. and she fell asleep and she slept for three hours. And I'm thinking the same thing. It should have been the first thing we did, you know. So I love that 
you, right, love how you said for 20 years, you've been yelling upstairs. Yeah. And here, this changed the whole pattern. Yeah. But you underestimated your daughter, too. Yeah. Let me just finish out this J story. So it begins with a repentance. We enter into the work of love. God takes us on this journey, and then he began to speak into my journey. And I was convicted by that thought, and I couldn't get it out of my mind. So two or three months later, I thought, what do I do with that? And I started doing morning devotions with Kim. We had a great time doing devotions, and then she would What did that look like? Oh, we would just read something from the Jesus Children's Book. I'm kind of a connoisseur of children's books. We've started now on our fourth reading of the comic book, the Bible. I'm sure you guys are familiar with that. But when Kim would pray, and she would pray on her speech computer, I would go do the dishes. It was just a good old American multitasking, you know what I mean? I would have sat down with her, except I had to go to work and write a book about prayer. <laughs> so, and there was a couple of months where, oh, you know, I should respect her, especially since I wrote a book about being attentive to people. Finally, <laughs> I was just convicted, so I sat down with her, and as soon as I started, I sat down with her, her prayers began to blossom. I mean, it went from one or two sentences to longer prayers. They were funny prayers. I'll take pictures of her prayers because it shows on her printout of her screen. Hmm. Send them to people who she's praying for. She prays for angry people because she struggles with anger. And she'll thank God for Disney. You know, I mean, she'll just, she'll thank God for SpongeBob, things that I would never think to thank God for, you know. <laughs> but and what was it about you sitting down? I was valuing her. I was, and I knew I should do it. I was attentive to her, you know. And she blossomed. Yeah, and she blossomed. It it was just, and what I'm describing is a resurrection. That's what I was going to say. That's the resurrection side. And this resurrection that has come out of this has so many sides to it. Right around that time, I stopped teaching Sunday school and just told the pastor, I'm going to shut down. Kim's not been taught. They found an empty room next to the furnace. Kim and I and another disabled kids, we just started doing Bible study together. That... My wife took it over, and now we have a ministry within See Jesus that writes Bible curriculum for people with intellectual disabilities called Bethesda. So it's really helpful to be attentive to the story. We should be story watchers and storytellers mm. because, you know, we're alert to the patterns of dying. And so there was a love J curve. I was loving Jill. I was dying to myself. And there were several other dines in there, like dying to multitasking. And out of that, Kim blossoms. It's just, it's just very sweet. To, I, I love praying together. You know, after breakfast every morning, she, she pushes aside all, all her stuff and we read our Bible story together and I'll suggest to Kim something that she could remember. I find she has a limit about five suggestions or she gets irritated because SpongeBob awaits. <laughs> <laughs> so for us as parents, I remember that too of, If I hadn't spent some time just being on the bed, asking them how they're doing, of reading a devotional, those are days upon days of doing that. But then as they get older and you hear their prayers and you see their lives kind of igniting and being set on fire for Jesus, that's the resurrection. That's the resurrection. Yeah. And the resurrection brings hope, right? Yeah. I mean, a couple of your chapters talk about it transforms 
your vision yes. for life, for your family. It's just that resurrection understanding is literally life-giving. Yes, it really is. And just a couple examples from Philippians 1. Paul's in prison, literally in chains when he's dictating the book of Philippians. And he says to the Philippians who, who were evidently worried about him, don't worry. Because of my chains, the whole praetorium guard, so if Paul's in Rome, which we think he is, there's about 6,000 members of the praetorium guard, the whole praetorium guard has heard about Jesus. (laughs) So it's a way of looking at your life where you're picking up the beauty. It's a kind of a Christian realism. So you're not an optimist. You know, optimism ignores the Mm. negative. It is denial. You know, it's not honest. And it just looks at the positive. But Paul is realistic. So what's the great reality he sees is the resurrection and enthronement of Jesus Christ. Mm. I mean, that's the 10,000-watt neon bulb at the center of the room that is just the blinding light that reshapes how Paul looks at everything. Then he mentions, you know, there are people that are trying to get me in trouble here. But he said, you know what? Let's look at that through a resurrection lens. They're trying to get me in trouble by aggressively preaching the gospel. And look, more people are hearing about Jesus. Who cares about their motive? You know what I mean? The dominance of the therapeutic lens can lead us to kind of getting stuck in death. Mm -hmm. You know, let's say you're in a difficult marriage. Uh, where you're married to what I, what I like to call a prickly saint. You need to be praying every day to see the beauty of Jesus in that person. Mm. Otherwise, you're going to get caught in the prickles, and that's going to shape your lens, and you'll get stuck at the bottom of the J. So, Paul, even if somebody's at the bottom of the J and they're really struggling, yeah. and their circumstances of the marriage don't change, Are you saying they can come up and experience resurrection in the midst of that? Yeah, and a great example of that is Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. I mean, they're at the literally at the bottom of a jail in prison. They've been beaten once. They're in stocks, which were torture extenders. They're in pain, and they are in a fellowship of his suffering. They start worshiping and praying. And so the resurrection... It can always begin in your heart. And so what that does is that dying and rising with Christ stabilizes your emotions. Mm -hmm. So you can say, yeah, this really hurts. And this is really hard. And you can have friends that you can unburden your heart to. But that grief and that sadness that you feel that and you you should feel because of a difficult marriage doesn't have to be the last word. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking of when we wrote our book, Vertical Marriage, it was about our 10-year anniversary. Um, of how I told Dave I was pretty much done in our marriage. And I would describe that as the most horrendous, beautiful point of my life. Because in the pain, it led to repentance. And in that repentance and the dying of self, it led to resurrection. Yeah, I was going to say resurrection. Yeah. God resurrected our marriage. Amen. Not in in an instant. Yeah. Although in an instant of repentance, the miracle began. Yeah. And then fleshed itself out over the last 31 years, now 41. Here's my question. Is it possible to experience resurrection vision of life alone? Or do you need a community? Or is it both and? 
Uh, I mean, it's both and. There's some situations where you really, you know, that great proverb that every heart has its own grief. Mm. You know, I think there's often parts of our hearts that uh, that are either inappropriate or just for one reason or another. And, and that's okay. And sometimes the stories that we're in need to be hidden because it, to share them would hurt people. And, you know, the the beautiful thing is when a whole community begins to enter and and that's what Paul's passion is the Corinthian community has been what I call the failure boasting chart so think of a sl- a slide you know where failures at the bottom and boasting is at the top that that's kind of our flesh you know where we're trying to get up and avoiding going down but Jesus the pattern of his life needs to describe every community I and mean, here here's a mm. quick example of that a lot of pastors are really hurting now with loss of attendance and it's a hard time and I have been urging pastors tell people you are hurting mm. tell them this is hard for you tell them your fears don't put on the evangelical smile. Don't do a vision series on how great your church is. Let them into your where where you are. So if you're dying to be able to open your heart up in a wise and prudent way to that dying it is really, and you get the whole congregation praying for you. They know you're hurting. I would say that's more than just to pastors. Because I think so often we pull inward in our pain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so you're right. I think for pastors to model that and then for all of us to have someone safe, yeah. trusted, yeah. that may have a biblical viewpoint that can kind of wrap their arms around us and pray for us. But there's something really healthy about that. Oh, it's just enormously healthy. And when I was going through that hard time that I mentioned in our last podcast with a challenging boss, I had a really close friend. I would open up my heart to that friend to just because you're in a suffering J-curve, suffering J-curve exposes the possibility of repentance J-curves, of sin in your life. So opening your life up to, you know, moving between the different J-curves so that here's another way. It is harder to be a victim than it is to be a sinner. A sinner can repent but if you remember my Kayla story, Kayla was a victim. When you are wounded by someone, you've got to take that into a fellowship of his suffering or that door to bitterness will, will not be a door. It'll be a vacuum that sucks you in. Mm. I'm thinking for our listeners. I'm thinking for us even. What's the hardest thing in your life right now? Like, Where would you say, I am struggling here and even I like that thought, Paul, of like, can we die to ourselves in the suffering of Christ? Can we give that to him? And what's keeping you from that? Yeah, and I'm thinking uh, one of the things I've learned, Paul, from, from you and from your book, The J-Curve, is when I'm in the death, suffering, struggle stage, open my eyes and realize Jesus is right here. Mm. Amen. He wants to meet me. He hasn't abandoned me. I am fellowshipping with him and there's part of that's glorious i know that's hard to have that perspective especially if you're in the dark right now but he's there and you are actually with him you're participating in something he's already gone through for you that is a beautiful thing i know it's crazy to think of that right now and i don't know when resurrection is going to come it could be years from now it could be this hour yeah But endure and participate in that suffering because 
it's worth it. And he loves you. Yeah. And the very simplest thing to do when you find yourself in the situation that Davis just described is to go to Jesus and tell him that. Mm. Tell him what you're doing. It's a, you know, just a Hebrew lament. You know, tell him where you're at and just start asking him for his help and just keep going back. to thank David Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as Power to Change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Need help building that heart-to-heart communication between you and your preteen while laying a foundation of purity that will prepare them for the turbulent years ahead? Check out Passport to Purity on our website, families.powertochange.org.au, under the Resources tab. You're invited back tomorrow at the same time for another Family Life Today presented by Power to Change in conjunction with this radio station.